This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello and welcome back to the Virgin Radio Pridecast with me, Shivani Dave. And with me, Alex Milsom. Now, in case you weren't aware, yesterday was Trans Day of Visibility, a day dedicated to celebrating trans and non-binary people around the world, as well as raising awareness of the discrimination which is still faced by the community here in the UK and worldwide. And we are doing both of those for the next couple of weeks here on the Virgin Radio broadcast, looking at the rise in anti-trans discourse, as well as the experiences of trans people in the UK. Obviously, we're going to talk about trans representation and non-binary representation, but I think we've had a bit of that directly from our very own Shivani Dave. Shivani, care to spill? Spilling the tea. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I um, I was a model for the new collection from Stella McCartney, Adidas, and my football club, Arsenal, which I was absolutely, completely gobsmacked and super excited to be a part of being such a fan two things one you say was excuse me i can see you on the zoom right now you still are a model babe and two i I just couldn't believe it seeing your face on the grid on arsenal you know with the little blue tick little oh little arsenal blue tick official grid it's not even a story yeah, it was like officially there. My face is up there. If the social media manager wants to remove my face from their grid, they'll probably have to get permission from whoever's more senior than them. I know. It's great, isn't it? You've got the, um, although Jackie Weaver doesn't have the authority, you do. I do. Yeah, it's um, it's um, it's been amazing. It's been pretty fun. And uh, it's all to sort of celebrate and raise awareness of, of women's football and uh, the fact that they were really inclusive of non-binary and trans people in the um, in the collection, in the photo shoot, whatever you want to call it, was was great because non-binary people are such a huge part of uh, women's football and supporting women's football. It, it was great. It was great. I know. There's I'm no so other happy. word. No, I, I really am so happy for you. So that is pretty pretty cool. Not gonna lie. But I wasn't the only bit of significant trans news this week. Jamie Wallace, the Conservative MP, came out as trans. It's so... It's such an amazing thing to see that we have a actual trans member of parliament as one of our legislators of the party that's in charge. I think that's a, a huge, huge moment for for trans representation considering how as we're going to discuss through the podcast how rough trans representation and how rough you know the culture war of trans people and how trans people are constantly the target i think it's amazing yeah i think it can be really hard for trans people and i think um with this like it's so nice to see the outpour of love and support for jamie who is still using the name Jamie, still using he, him pronouns. And there was a lot going on in the announcement of their trans identity. And um, I hope that they managed to, because they have a sort of position of authority within the government, I hope that they managed to also get a certain level of protection with that. Because I know it can be hard to be trans um, and in the public eye. So hopefully they get support that they need because that's really important. Yeah, um, of course. But I think a good place to start this week is by asking a question that Matt Cain asked on his Sunday roast on Virgin Radio Pride. 
Has the increased representation which the trans community has seen over the last few years been a catalyst for increased abuse? Someone who Matt spoke to was actor and screenwriter Jake Graff. Have a listen to what he had to say. No, I think things have obviously got a lot worse recently. Um, and it's, you know, it's a combination of initially, initially what it was kicked off by was a proposed reform of the Gender Recognition Act. Um, and it seemed like up till then we were sort of quiet enough and in our place enough for the detractors to kind of leave us alone, you know, being that we were such a tiny minority. But obviously when that came out and it started getting news traction and so on, I think these people, you know, much like any civil rights movement in history, when a, a certain group is felt to be getting a bit too big for their boots and possibly almost approaching the equality line, they, they're very quickly stomped back into place. And unfortunately, that's what started happening by some of the more trans radical feminist groups, uh, sorry, radical feminist groups, um, by some of the press. And obviously the press noticed very quickly that trans people make really, really good punching bags and really, really good clickbait. And much as we and our rights have been used and weaponized by governments and voters and polls and so on over the years, we are now being used by the media, I think, really just to sell newspapers. And unfortunately, the the repercussions of that are that the trans community is under attack. It's interesting what you say about um, when when a minority group gets closer towards equality or makes great strides, they're pushed back in their place. Is it also about, um, you know, a lot of older gay men have said to me there wasn't so much homophobia around before the start of decriminalisation because people who didn't really talk about it, you didn't see any. Is it um, partly that trans people had so little visibility um and now there's something for people to think about and see and react to yeah i mean obviously you know the more you see us the more in one way it's very very positive and obviously our younger generation is able to see themselves represented out there and come out earlier and be themselves earlier and live authentic lives earlier but by the same token obviously not only does that terrify the adults because you know obviously these these kids are coming out now in their droves which shows that there are a lot more of us around than we ever thought before but I think you know any kind of visibility particularly on the on the I say the scale that we've seen we're still a tiny minority we're I think 0.1% of the population and 89% of people have never knowingly met anybody transgender but then you know you get Laverne Cox on the cover of Time magazine you get old Caitlin on the cover of Vanity Fair and all of a sudden we're everywhere and we're turning your children. Do you know I think Jake hits it perfectly there saying that you know trans people are quote really easy punch bags you know, it really does feel like in these attacks we've seen over the past few years, which have really felt like, I don't know from everyone else's experience, but really felt like they've accelerated. It really does feel like trans people are an easy target. Yeah. Yeah. Jake's really eloquent with this, um, as always. I think there are two kind of um, main points that I want to draw out, though. Mm-hmm. Um, like giving people the benefit of the doubt, like assuming that they're not trying to be mean, bad people. I think a lot of the time that there's a lot of ignorance when trans people are, are reported on and discussed. Um, and I think sometimes this means that certain journalists, certain outlets completely disregard the facts and the science and the truth for a story that seems emotive when actually there is a lot of science in this and it's it's a very right or wrong thing scientifically um but they they think that it's sort of a emotional uh sort of perspective issue um and they drag some of that out in order to turn a story into clickbait 
Yeah, and the it's it's a shame that with that increased visibility as well, you know, of trans people being discussed and being represented on a day-to-day basis, it is a shame that that fight for visibility has meant that people have found them to be, you know, more vibrant, bigger targets to, to hit and become, as I say, easier targets as well. Yeah, and I think regular people, like people who aren't in the media at all, um, who are trans, have sort of been caught up in the sensationalising of trans identity that's happened in the public eye. And I think that can be a, quite a difficult road to navigate. If you open the news app on your phone and you see lots of things that are anti-trans, it can be damaging to one's mental health, um, especially when you are a person who is just sort of a regular person, not a media person, not a commentator, not somebody like that. It can be really difficult to see and hear these things so frequently. Yeah, and that it's interesting you mentioned that media sort of not bubble but sometimes it just feels like you and I both kind of spend a lot of our lives in the media it does sort of feel like it tends to be a topic that lots of people go to and it tends to be a topic that's misrepresented it tends to be a topic that's used for comical effect in in some instances you know picking on people who are vulnerable I don't know what what you've kind of experienced or or seen that kind of matches up with that yeah, I mean, like, if you look at the trans representation in movies, like, trans women, it's always trans women that are sort of the targets of this, and mm. um, some of the rest of the trans community get swept up in it, but largely the target is trans women, and in movies and things, trans women are often used as a punchline or as a joke or um, are, are sort of the villain or something to be scared of, Um that can be really hard when that is, you know, when you're when you're maybe young, you don't know any trans people and that is all the content that you can find out about trans people or see trans people in. It can be really damaging and um, make you battle internally about, uh, you know, who you are, um, which I don't think is very helpful, to be honest. Um, I think as well, what you hit on the head there is that, that difference in the experiences between, you know, myself, a cis white gay male, you know, thinking, oh, this isn't nice. Oh, this isn't a nice thing to see. Why why are we picking on people who, you know, are vulnerable and the rates of suicide in, in trans people versus, you know, cisgender people are shockingly disproportionate. And so I think, oh, that's not a nice thing. But I can only imagine what it must be for those people living day-to-day as either out trans people or people who are grappling privately and internally with their trans identity yeah it, it is really hard and the thing is is the trans community is quite small we are less than one percent of the population in the uk and it's this blown up in, you know sort of a, overhyped representation that we seemingly have in the media we're basically talked about every single day that it's not a realistic portrayal and um when you run out of things to say about the trans community it's just things that other people have said about the trans community which turns to be quite hateful quite quickly 
Of course. So we've heard from Jake on this idea of increased representation being one of the reasons why there is so much anti-trans discourse at the moment. But let's hear now from someone else who spoke to Matt Cain last year. We're, of course, talking about the brilliant Annie Wallace. You might know her from Hollyoaks, where she was the first openly trans person to play a trans character in a British soap. Have a listen. Whilst we were, uh, we as a community, I suppose, the trans community, there is such a thing. um, While we weren't visible, we weren't seen as any form of threat. And to be honest, even once the laws were being passed, such as the Gender Recognition Act of 2004, and then the consolidation of the Equality Acts altogether to the Equality Act of 2010, there was very little kind of backlash to that. It just seemed to, everything was taking its natural order and its place. Longer than we hoped for, of course, but it seemed to be going swimmingly. But uh, it seems to coincide with starting to see trans people more um, on radio, television and theatre. In other words, in the public view, rather than being a concept, actually seeing yes. people yes. there. And I have to you know, pull my hand up and go, yeah, obviously I contributed to that. <laughs> but this is what was happening. We had Rebecca Root in Boy Meets Girl, Beth Black in Cucumber, uh, Ash Palmisiano in, in Emmerdale. And I think it that and the proposals to reform the Gender Recognition Act. It was a perfect storm for what I would call the the, the gender-critical anti-trans cult to mobilise and attack us. I Listen, I I don't believe that they're representative of the LGBT plus community at all. Listen, I go to prides. I I was at London Pride a couple of years ago and all I saw was trans flags and and love for the trans community there. So I, I don't think that this is a community issue i think it's a minority issue yeah i think annie's so right what we see about our community or the trans community being attacked is not representative of the situation within the lgbtq plus community as a whole but i would go as far as to say that it's not representative of the uk um i think there is a loud and vocal minority here who do want to reflect views that aren't necessarily those that are completely entirely reflected in the rest of the country and I think that there's a level to this where the majority of people don't care but if you turn on Twitter it's hard to to realize that because there is so much hate and so much Mm. um so much I don't know negative discourse about trans people and I mean sometimes gender critical you know uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists whatever you want to call them they I think probably spend more time thinking about being trans than trans people <laughs> I mean I, I can't argue with that some of the things that I've seen like Twitter accounts dedicated to just talking about trans issues more than trans is- people I know speaking about trans issues but I think it's a shame that that representation bit by bit has allowed that gender critical lobby to become so vocal yeah i think that's that that's what it is because i don't think it's the fact that we've got more visibility and therefore we've got more hate i think like with any minority group there is uh hate towards them in every sort of minority um the enhanced focus on the trans community though has meant that a lot of sort of journalists and people like that realize they don't know much about trans rights they don't know much about trans law or trans people but when there was this new consultation on the gender recognition act i think in the interest of 
quote unquote balance people have been sort of platformed with hateful views and put under a magnifying glass and given this sort of false equivalence of trans people versus people who don't like trans people but most people don't care like you wouldn't get this fake balance when it comes to the rights of any other minority group because there just are people who hate minorities and I think a lot of what's been debated in the media comes from this court of a fake balance it's more about who can make a better soundbite or who can say the more terrifying thing that's gonna jeopardize our children rather than the facts and the science and the law of anything exactly and what annie and yourself both mentioned there that a lot of this debate doesn't actually come from inside the lgbtq plus community some of it does but most of it lies outside in in general you know day-to-day lives yeah and i think the sense of community the lgbtq plus community and our allies that solidarity is all the more important now. But another community which the trans community are often pitted against is the feminist movement. Now, have a listen to presenter Alex Woolhouse on the argument that trans rights are incompatible with feminism. It's absolute rubbish. I am a feminist. I am a trans woman. Everyone, every woman that I know, every man that I know is a feminist and is trans positive as well. It's just absolute rubbish. And it pits trans women against cis women unnecessarily because we experience the same issues on a lot of things there is a lot of sexism that we both um that both sets of women um are experiencing yes there are slight dif- there are differences with women who were assigned female at birth and women who were assigned male at birth but at the end of the day we all are actually going for the same thing which is liberation it's being able to do what we want to do and uh, for our femininity to not be a barrier to that. I think Alex has a really good point there. She's a friend, so full disclosure, this is a conversation that we have had in the past. And I don't want to sound like an echo chamber. So, Alex, this is getting confusing with the two Alexes. Yeah, two what Alexes. Do you think? That's too many Alexes, isn't it? Um, for, for the purpose of this, I should call myself air quote. Uh, joking, of course. Um, I Alex think... air quotes, Milsom. <laughs> it's quite quite a title, isn't it? That's why I'm going to get on my tombstone. I think, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting that we've got a community being pitted against another community when the actual end goal, you know, for liberation and, you know, promotion of femininity is pretty much the same. You know... There's no actual kind of difference between it. But for some reason, outsiders are trying to create this, uh, you know, this idea that you that both communities are both fighting against each other when actual fact they're both heading towards the same goal. Yeah, exactly. I think pitting women against each other is also entirely unfeminist. Of course. It's literally the opposite. You're supposed to support each other rather than shoot people down. Yeah. I think what's really hard in this scenario is that trans people have fought for the rights of all women. They fought for the rights of all gay, lesbian and bisexual people. Now they're sort of the targets of of needing to fight these battles. And women in particular, trans women in particular, are almost being left behind by the communities that they rallied so hard for. And it's it's hurtful to see that happen. Yeah, trans women you know, really have been absolute promoters of uh, liberators in the queer community. And trans women have always been 
promoters of minorities. So it, it's just such a shame to see that happening when actually there isn't really that much of a of a, a difference in, in, in viewpoints, I suppose. Yeah, it's all like, I mean, all of these battles that have been fought for gay people, for women, for uh, people of colour, all of these battles have stemmed in one thing entirely, and that is equality. And um, it's almost like there's this thing of having equality in some senses, but not equality in all senses, which means that there's no equality at all if you really want to think about it. Of course, although when I think about things that big, my head does start to hurt. So that's the kind of like <laughs> caveat there. Now got a headache. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've talked about whether or not the rise in representation for trans people has been a catalyst for the increased abuse and about the regularly used argument that trans rights are incompatible with feminism. But where does this debate, where does all this debate leave the trans communities themselves? It's interesting you should say that, Alex, air quotes, Milsom, because I caught up with Stephanie Fuller, the general manager of the LGBT plus helpline switchboard, to ask that very question. And you'll hear our chat right after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl Jackson. Thank you. Hello. Jamie Wallace has become the first MP to come out as trans. The Conservative who represents Bridgend has revealed he has gender dysphoria. He's also revealed he'd hoped to keep it private until finishing his term in Parliament, but says he was blackmailed by someone who wanted £50,000 to keep it quiet. Equalities Minister Mike Freer praised him in the House of Commons for his enormous personal statement. I hope I speak for the whole House in sending our support. It is so important that people are free to be safe to be themselves, whoever they are and whoever they love. Disney says the so-called Don't Say Gay bill should never have been passed into law in Florida and will try to have it repealed. Demonstrations have been held by the company's employees because the legislation bans lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Disney has been criticised for its slow response and not using its significant influence in Florida to oppose the bill. England manager Gareth Southgate says he doesn't understand what boycotting this year's World Cup in Qatar would achieve. The decision to host the tournament in the country has faced criticism because of its record on human rights and treatment of the LGBTQ community. Southgate believes there are more effective ways to send a message, though. My understanding is that the discussions the FA have had with organisations like Amnesty International is that they feel that there would be more change if we go and these things are highlighted. And after taking home three prizes at the RTS Awards last night, Channel 4's It's a Sin is now leading the nominations for the BAFTA TV Awards. Russell T Davies' series, which follows a group of gay men and their friends through the HIV-AIDS crisis in London, is up for 11 gongs. That's all for this week. I'll have much more next week. Thank you, Daryl. Now, I'm delighted to say that I am joined with the magic of Zoom by the lovely Stephanie Fuller. She's the general manager of the LGBT helpline switchboard, and she's also a staunch fan of Crystal Palace FC, which being an Arsenal fan, I'm not sure I can get on board with, but we'll stick to the topic at hand. Thanks for joining me, Steph. You're welcome, Shiv. Nice to meet you. And um, yeah, we'll come back to that football chat another time. <laughs> it's all been kicking off in the uh, the Twitter mentions already, hasn't it? Um through this episode, we've spoken about the idea that there's an increased level of visibility uh, that trans people have been experiencing recently. Um, 
and kind of linking it with the fact that there's also a rise in anti-trans discourse, abuse, transphobia. Would you agree with that? Um, I think it's I think it's sort of hard to disagree with that um, in terms of you know if you look at kind of the sort of increased visibility of of trans people or maybe not even trans people and non-binary people maybe not even the increased visibility of them but increased surfacing of the topics of 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 the idea of trans and non-binary people and then the projection of what that might be uh, through the perception of some some groups so i think it's I think that the surfacing of those topics in the way that it's been surfaced has then, I think, almost inevitably then created, um, because, you know, I, I guess I'm alluding to the fact that I don't think it's been surfaced in a healthy way. Um, so it's been surfaced in a way which is definitely, I would suggest, coming from a negative perspective. And therefore, um, it almost immediately follows that the discourse around that will be negative. And so mm. if you're the subject matter in question, then you're likely to feel the, the, the brunt of that. So I do think, uh, you know, there is a, a connection of that, but I don't think it's necessarily a greater visibility of trans and non-binary people. I think it's more the topic that has raised visibility. Um, I'm not sure I'm seeing any more, many more trans and non-binary people on my screens than I was seeing a few years ago. I'm, I am seeing some more but not many more. Not sort of in proportion with the amount of negative discourse. Definitely not. No, yeah. definitely not. I think like one thing that we in the LGBTQ plus community talk about a lot, a lot of minority groups actually talk about is having visibility, having representation. And um, it's something that on the podcast we discuss and you know, growing up for me, representation was really important. Bender Like Beckham's still my favourite movie because where else have I ever seen a South Asian female footballer? Um, certainly not in the Premier League. Um, so with that, do you think that there's something wrong with the way that the trans community is being represented or is it that any sort of visibility is going to um, arise these sorts of comments or discussions? Um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to look at sort of, um, say, media through the lens of entertainment, if you like, and you were to look at how, say, trans people are sort of represented through television and film, um, it's generally very negative. Um, it's generally that you're dealing with a, a, a sort of calibre of person that's almost disposable and that, you know, is likely to be the sort of the murder victim in the story or is is going to be a sex worker. And I think all of these things kind of create the illusion that this is somebody you should care less about. Um, therefore, because that's that's where these people fit into society and that's, that's all they have to bring. So that's all you need to care about. And so I think that, um, you know, that, that, that's, whilst that's, you know, when there's no representation, it still feels like quite something that there's some, but actually when you dig a little deeper, you know, where's the character within that? Where's the humanity within that? Um, and that tends to be missing. I think where I think you can tell, see like a slightly more of a whole story told, and this is something I've related to a couple of times, is um, uh, that one of the characters in Pose, who is, you know, she is like the head of the household and she is 
so nurturing and caring to other people and you just care much more about that person rather than their journey and their sort of their their background if you like and I think that it's rare that you get to see that you generally get something else presented and that's as much depth as you get as the character of that particular individual and then usually they're gone very quickly from the storyline yeah unfortunately I know it all too well um don't even need to ask for specific examples because it's a common trope um and, and these kinds of tropes are often sort of amplified by what I think is quite a vocal minority. It's a problem that we've spoken about on the podcast before. Um, and do you think that this is the problem that is affecting the way trans people are discussed at the moment because of a, a vocal minority? It's a really interesting one, this for me, because I think if you, if you, um, if you live your life on social media, if you take social media as being enormously important to everybody, say in the UK, then you would be led to believe that everybody in the UK hates trans people. Um, but actually, the reality is most people, even on social media, aren't even seeing a lot of that content. They're not even aware it's going on. And so it's hard to establish how much of a minority this vocal group is, but you know, it's definitely present, it's definitely well organized and it's definitely active. Um, but I think what's more worrying for me is um, how actually information that is like maybe incomplete information or factually incorrect information is presented as being absolute fact. And it's repeated enough that even though later on it may well be corrected and challenged it sort of becomes the perceived truth anyway i just kind of want to touch on on what you were saying there about living your life on social media a lot of the discourse that i see on social media which is something that i am trying to spend less time on is the focus on trans women because when trans people trans lives are discussed on the internet it tends to be about trans women disproportionately so and there's obviously a, a difference in all sorts of things, medically, biologically, um, psychologically even, um, for trans men and trans women. Is that something that you see being reflected? Does the rise in transphobic discourse affect one section of the community more? Um, I would say most definitely it does. Um, and I think... Um, you know, I think it, it often comes from probably a similar place to homophobia in terms of it being more directed towards gay men than, say, gay women. And that's not to say that gay women aren't subject to homophobia. They very clearly are. But I think if you take sort of misogyny has less of an issue with lesbians than it does with gay men. And so I think trans women uh, in need immediately um, stimulate something in some people which propagates some sort of level of fear, I guess, which is based on nothing, no experience whatsoever. Um, but actually, um, I think it's just more problematic for society more broadly. And so people focus in on that much more. Um, and it's really interesting because actually, when you look at the amounts of people that transition in the UK, it's pretty much 50-50. Mm. So there isn't actually more trans women than there are trans men. It's almost exactly the same there's very little difference in the two but in terms of how the two categories get reported they're wildly different absolutely wildly different yeah yeah for sure it's again that sort of false narrative of 
trans women and of course none of those things are true we firmly know that on the podcast and I think it's worth saying that obviously like you know me and you know (laughs) you know that I know um that it's all nonsense on the internet um but you mentioned misogyny there and trans rights and I think like what comes to mind almost immediately is is feminists have been fighting against misogyny for decades and um there's now this what I would call false equivalence between feminism and trans rights some people suggest that the two are incompatible um now I know you're going to say that the two are very compatible um but what needs to be done to ensure that we move forward with the two sort of groups aligned with one another as opposed to sort of this disjointedness it seems to be um i mean that's a that's a really big question um as to as as to what needs to be done but i think part of me thinks actually and it's if this feels like quite a simple thing really but um people should judge their own lived experiences trust their own lived experiences a little bit more um because actually you know (laughs) most people have never met a trans person um and and if they have there's a fair percentage you don't even know they've met a trans person even then and so the day has been largely unaffected by that experience either negatively or positively um but actually were you to learn more about the experiences of say trans people you would understand very quickly that it's it's a it's a difficult life quite frankly um it's not a life that's made easy for you um barriers are constantly put in your way um very low glass ceilings appear very quickly um and and your inclusion in society and the limitations of what's available to you happen quite quickly it feels for for trans people um and i think that they're very very similar in the experiences of that of of, of women more generally as well that would, would kind of relate very strongly to those things when you look at you know um, um, occurrences of assault uh, sort of violence and sexual assault upon trans people they're really high these are really high stats and so there's a again there's a real connection between the lived experience of trans people and I guess you know trans women in this instance uh, and and feminism that I do think fundamentally crosses over in very common areas and it would probably be better to um, understand that a little bit more um, but how everybody moves forward with that and how we get to kind of have all that conversation respectfully in one place and create an environment for people to be able to talk about things like that respectfully I'm not so sure, I'm not quite sure how we do that if I'm honest but I think I think more generally people on the whole could actually just trust their lived experience a little bit more and not be maybe influenced by stuff that they're seeing online, I guess. Yeah. Sorry to throw that one at you. I mean, it was a very good answer. Um, maybe not the complete uh, roadmap to how we get there to equality, but um, some really useful stuff in that. Um, I think you know, I, I I want to talk more a little bit about Switchboard because obviously you are running this charity, which is a vital uh, service to the LGBTQIA plus community. 
Um, have you seen a rise in calls because of this sort of anti-trans sentiment? Um, I think it's, I think there's two parts to your question there, actually. So have we seen a rise in calls? Yes. Um, mm. Is it because of the anti-trans sentiment? It's really difficult for me to answer that definitively. And, and, and the reason being is that, and I'll give you an example, that the anti-trans sentiment, if you like, feels like it's relentless. So actually, where's the break in it where you can work out where it dips? And there, there was no anti-trans sentiment during that period of time. So therefore we had less sort of calls and it, you know, it's just non-stop at the moment. So I don't think it's hard to be able to extract that. But what I can say is that big events that occur in the media do affect calls to switchboard. And um, perhaps um, in a slightly different example, but a really good example of this was when Philip Schofield came out. Um, because obviously that's not an ongoing occurrence, it only happens once. <laughs> um, um, uh, when Philip Schofield came out, we then got an increase in calls from older gay men that had been wrestling with coming out for many years and now felt like actually it was something they needed to address and to talk about. And so there was a direct correlation between that. And it's harder for me to do that in terms of anti-trans sentiment because, you know, we have all know that certain Sunday newspapers will drop stories twice a weekend, every weekend, and then there'll be stuff in the week. So there's almost no ebb and flow to it. It's just constant. Um, but in terms of the numbers, what I think is really interesting is that since 2019, we've seen a massive increase in the calls to switchboard of people that um, would describe their gender as being outside of the binary. So from 2019 to 2020, the increase was 172%, which is huge. And then when we're looking at the kind of year on year percentage of callers that we received to switchboard, in 2020, I think 27% of our callers described their gender as being different to that assigned at birth. A year later, it's 34%. So it's gone up another 7% in 12 months. And, you know, when you put that into the context of the fact that we're taking, you know, our, our amazing volunteers are taking 18,000 calls a year. Um, you know, that's several thousand people we're talking about that are reaching out to Switchboard. Uh, needing to have those conversations. So I definitely think, um, although I can't prove it necessarily, I probably could if you asked me again in a year's time because of some of the analytics we now have, um, that there is, I'm sure there's a correlation between the kind of the general public discourse in the media and what we're seeing. So obviously Switchboard volunteers are doing incredible work supporting the LGBTQIA plus community and, and I think people more generally who just have questions about gender or sexuality can you run us through the ways in which people can get support from Switchboard and who can get support from Switchboard? Yeah absolutely so I mean it's important to say right from the start that you know the service that we offer at Switchboard is 365 days a year 10am to 10pm um, across telephone, instant message and email and when you get through across either of those, any one of those three platforms, you'll, you'll, you'll meet one of our superb listening volunteers and they have 60 hours of training to become a listening volunteer for Switchboard. So it's not a, a small undertaking. Um, and the service that they're going to provide you with is going to be confidential. 
and it's going to be non-judgmental and non-directive it's just going to be a place for you to talk and we get calls from people that have come out or thinking of coming out that are struggling with their gender identity or their sexuality or their faith or it's been a victim of hate crime or even domestic violence or they're struggling with their mental health um but we also get calls from perhaps family members as well that don't quite know how to handle a situation and need somewhere to have that conversation as well which is why it's really important that you know our service is non-judgmental um and people can reach us quite simply by calling our phone number which is 0300 330 0630 or they can go to our website which is switchboard.lgbt um so if you just go to that and from there you can find the chat function and 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 start an online chat between 10 a.m and 10 p.m and we also have an email option there as well so you can just drop us an email if that's that's more convenient for you and certainly you know we've seen over the last year that um you know perhaps more trans and non-binary people and younger people uh, were using chat to talk to us particularly at a time when you know everyone was being told to stay home and stay safe and home is very often not a safe space for people and it's too risky to have a voice call but a chat is much more discreet and they're able to have that call and I think also another just very quickly an upside of that for um, trans and non-binary people is the instant messenger means you can put your pronouns in and that means you can be very confident that you're going to be addressed correctly not that you wouldn't be if you called us because you would do but if your lived experiences in general are not good with voice-based services, it can make you sort of apprehensive of that as well. And, but that's how people can get in touch with us and that's what we'll be there to support them with and listen um, and hopefully be able to provide them with some information that's useful for them so they can go forward with their lives. Steph, it's been brilliant to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. And if you want to know more about the brilliant work which Switchboard do or would like to give them a call yourself, you can find all their details, as you can every week, in fact, in the show description. That's almost it from us this week. But before we go, let's return to something which I touched upon with Stephanie just then. The differences in the way that trans women and trans men are treated. It's something else which Jake Graff spoke to Matt Kane about. Here, have a listen. As a trans man, do you think there's a difference in the way in which trans men and women are treated? And if so, what is behind this? Or portrayed by certain people we're talking about trying to ignite a culture war? Yeah, I mean, you know, my wife Hannah and I talk about this all the time. But she, because, you know, she, obviously she's trans as well. <clears throat> and she, you know, we know throughout history, trans women have always been visible, possibly because of their physicality, possibly because, you know, they were raised in a way that afforded them a voice that maybe people you know trans men were not possibly conditioned to have you know i know that hannah's very outspoken and always has been i know that you know if you look back through history it's always been trans women fighting at the forefront for their rights for everyone's rights in fact you know they really have kind of suffered the slings and arrows and i think there's also obviously there's a there's a tendency to fetishize trans women mm-hmm. um there is a tendency i think people are fascinated with anyone perceived as male obviously inaccurately so but perceived as male who would relinquish that 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 male privilege and to sort of drop down i mean for, for me obviously people think that i'm just a woman who or a poor lesbian who's kind of you know so desperate to take a step up towards you know the patriarchy and so on and so forth that i've taken hormones and had lots of surgeries and i'm in fact you know trying striving desperately to find my place in society that way 
Whereas, you know, that that's kind of understandable, just like women who, you know, little kids who wear boys' clothes when they're little girls, you know, tomboys are sort of accepted, whereas the little boys who do it, it's not understood and they're mocked and they're ridiculed. I think there's a real fascination with any man, and I use quotation marks, who would decide to relinquish that privilege, whereas for me to do it, it seems normal. And I think just largely people don't really, people just aren't interested in trans guys. I mean, you see in the media, we very rarely feature on TV. We very rarely feature in, in films. There's very rarely discourse around trans men. And then obviously, you know, with these, this sort of whole argument about trans women in, in women's spaces, that would obviously, that means that your, your thinking is that trans women are not women, which of course we know that they are. But obviously if a trans woman isn't supposed to be in a woman's place, or a space or a toilet than I am. And I kind of derail that argument because no woman wants me in their toilet. So there's two really interesting points that I got from that kind of, uh, you know, view from Jake. And one of them is that obviously it has always been trans women at the forefront. We even mentioned that in the previous clip. Trans women at the forefront of liberation of minorities, of liberation of people that are, you know, being discriminated against in society. Trans women have always been at the front leading. But also, from my own personal experience, on the days that I used to use Grindr, I did find that fetishization really, really apparent. The things that I would see people put in their bios, you know, things specifically that were discriminating against trans people or just trying to find trans people specifically, almost like they were some sort of thing to be fetishized. It was really disappointing. And so I can definitely see evidence of that in the day-to-day life that I used to live. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is there's a lot of evidence for fetishization. It's a lot of syllables, a, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot going on with your mouth in that word. Um, the, there's a lot of evidence of that. There's a lot of evidence of discrimination towards trans women, trans people in general. But it always comes back to what Jake mentioned there, the bathroom thing, the safety in bathrooms. And that's... That's something that there is no very little evidence of trans women exploiting uh single sex bathrooms for nefarious reasons we're all in there to do one thing or maybe the other thing and nobody wants to really spend more time in there than they want to or have to um and when it comes to the bathroom stuff which it always boils down to in the end it's about making women safe which is a hundred percent something that they should be able to feel and I want women to feel safe in women's spaces but if you're someone who's about to commit some really horrible crime a sign on the door is not going to stop you so why would you go through a social financial and medical process of a of a gender transition if you wanted to do something that was so unspeakably heinous I think as well you know that that point that you make about the burdens that trans people have to go to to get that recognition And the idea that people would do that for a nefarious reason when it is painstaking, the process. I follow some trans people on Twitter and see how much it means to them to have, you know, a recognition of their own identity. And that means so much to see that. It feels like it's a childish argument that other people are using to, again, diminish the existence of trans people. And bringing it back to trans men, I think this kind of media discourse can be quite damaging to them because the focus is solely on women in 
bathrooms and I say women in bathrooms because trans women are women and they're going into women's bathrooms and if a trans man like Jake says goes into a woman's bathroom that would be very uncomfortable for lots of people and it's not just about that it's not just about you know the way people talk about who's allowed in what space because ignoring trans men in this way means that they're not visible enough to the point where it can impact their health things like smear tests have been ignored for trans men things like cancer screenings have been ignored and these things have real consequences and um have have lost lost the lives of trans people because they've not been sufficiently cared for no that is so it's so disappointing to see that i also think that jake mentioned something really interesting there about relinquishing that male privilege versus you know striving to be part of a society in that way as a male the idea that your role in society again it hits back on trans men you know thinking oh wow well they've you know they're only there to do this they're only there to try and be identify as male in a male dominated world whereas trans women oh there's something brave about giving up your position and power in the world you know according to society and the patriarchy oh wow there's something more powerful about that no there isn't it's just about identifying it's 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 the fact that that's that's what some people would attribute that whole experience to it's it's a really bewildering thing to hear but it makes sense and that's just it these arguments are built on a fallacy that one person having rights takes away from another person having their rights when in reality the only thing that takes away from everyone's rights is the patriarchy because the patriarchy in one way or another does come for all of us yeah i can't afford that to be fair And on that cheery note, that's just about all we've got time for on this week's special episode of the Virgin Radio Pridecast. But isn't every episode of the Virgin Radio Pridecast special? Anyway, don't worry, because we'll be back next week with another episode on trans visibility, because it's a topic that deserves to be talked about for more than just one day of the year. And we're going to be talking about the experiences of trans people here in the UK. Until then, as always, if you'd like to get in touch about anything we've discussed this week, you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. Or you can tweet us at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. See you next week.